Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Progressive Bitcoiner. I'm your host, Trey Walsh, and today we have on the show Eileen Osorio. Now, Eileen and I have connected in multiple different avenues, um, offline and online, and I was really honored to have her on as a guest because I love her work in the space, not only talking about Bitcoin, but also talking about global humanitarian issues, financial inclusion, dictatorships, and just stories of people persevering uh, through her Substack, The Misfit, which she'll talk about in this episode. The name is actually changing and probably has actually at this point that uh, is coming out. So I'll let you figure that out in the episode, but really honored to have her on and really enjoyed this conversation talking about her motivation for writing, the stories she likes to focus on, her work, uh, getting involved in Bitcoin conferences and meeting all of these cool new people and her being a huge part of the community. Uh, what it means to be a woman content creator in this space and some of the different challenges for mainstream adoptions, whether it's from the actual kind of culture and what we're trying to bring into Bitcoin and increasing diversity in the space, and really just talking about the stories that matter most and the practical applications of Bitcoin. We talk about Freedom Tech, Noster, and so many other things and could have kept going on uh, forever. So we'll definitely make more episodes like this uh, with Eileen and many others going forward. So really hope you enjoy this conversation. And as always, if you have any feedback at all for us, please feel free to reach out to me. You can reach me at hello at progressivebitcoiner.com. And be sure to check out the referral links in the show notes as well uh, to take advantages of those. And we will see you again next week. Hi, Eileen. How are you? Hi, Trey. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well now that we can actually record. Uh, for <laughs> folks listening, we had a few blooper moments of trying to get the show up and running, but I think we're good now. Um, excited to have you on the show. And I've really been looking forward to this conversation for a while. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I've told you again like a million times, but this is my first time being in a Bitcoin podcast. And it's very exciting, but also nerve wracking. Um, but I'm glad it's with you. So that's that's awesome. Yeah, that's great. And I, I want to, you know, not assume too much. Some folks listening might know who you are and know some of your work, but do you want to give folks a background of um, your work, your Substack, and, and some of the things that you've been focusing on? Yeah, for sure. So I have a, a newsletter on Substack. It's called The Misfit. Um, and I started a podcast as well, also called The Misfit. Um, and it's been a really fun project, if you will. Um, I it first started because I was just felt compelled to write and I didn't know what I was going to write about. It was just like this needing to write about something. And so I would write about anything one week, you know, let's say Formula One one week and then the environment the next week. And but I just kept saying, I don't know what I'm going to write about. I'm just going to show up and keep writing and keep writing until it got to a point when I looked back and realized, OK, I discovered my pattern. And that pattern is that I love writing stories, real stories of people. And then it, I realized I love writing stories about people in search of financial freedom. And so it was really interesting to see my art tell me what I was passionate about and what I really believed in, um, which is why I'm a big believer in just continuing to to hone and, and uh, cr uh, carve your, your craft, you know, just continuing to show up for that every day. I'm at a position now where I know what I want to write about, and that continues to be telling real stories and lessons and interviews of people in search of their financial freedom and their human rights. Um, so what I've been thinking about is uh, doing a rebrand as well. So I'm going to change the name. And I think by the time this episode goes out, the name will already be changed. It will go from the misfit to notes from the margin. and 
why awesome. I wanted to call it Notes from the Margin was because I want to continue to tell stories of people living in the margin in pursuit of freedom and specifically financial freedom. So I thought that the name Notes from the Margin was more fitting than the misfit. Uh, and it also gives me an opportunity to tell the stories of individuals or businesses or organizations uh, trying to help them in that pursuit. That's awesome. Speaking of the Why Are We Bullish show, so you you also, I, I want to get into to your work and stuff, but I also want to just touch on, you've been to a couple of big conferences recently. Um, I know you were at the the um, the Human Rights Festival in Oslo, the Freedom Forum. Yes. Um, so you want to talk about that this past year, you know, going to those conferences, um, going on to Why Are We Bullish? I think you're starting to connect with some folks that probably must feel really good and really natural with what you're writing for and going to some of these events. So what, what was some of that like? Yeah, it's been really cool. Just how quickly your life can change. Like at the beginning of this year, I had no idea that I would be going to so many conferences. Mm -hmm. uh, went to Miami. Um, then it was the Oslo Freedom Forum, which like you mentioned, is um, the human rights uh, conference for the Human Rights Foundation. It, it was amazing. It was it was the most beautiful conference I've ever been to. So moving. It's so impactful. All the speakers getting on stage, sharing their story. And you had people that were activists, journalists, human rights defenders, politicians, lawyers. I mean, all kinds of people that each of them had one passion. So their passion was like, okay, this is how I think is going uh, to change the world, right? Like, this is why I think the world is broken. And this is what I'm going to do to change the world. That mm -hmm. sort of responsibility that everybody had and that passion and that fire, it was so contagious. It was inspiring. Um, of course, there were some moments where, you know, it was very difficult to hear their stories and um, just how real, um, uh, crimes and abuses and and intimidation and threats is for people that are trying to stand up for people living on the margin, standing up for truth, standing up for accountability of governments. Um, you know, some of them that um, spoke at the last conference are no longer here with us for various reasons. Maybe they were put in jail or they were killed. Mm. So you go in and you hear them and you really take in their message because you think, this might be the last chance that we have to see them. Um, and they're putting everything on the line, their lives, their work, their families, like just to be able to stand up and speak for truth. It's so powerful. And then, of course, of those three days, the last day was focused on financial freedom. So really a big focus on Bitcoin. And that was really, really cool to see all these uh, mm. uh, a blend of Bitcoiners with uh, people on the ground trying to change the world. I was really cool. I think more Bitcoin should be going to that conference versus mm -hmm. the mainstream, you know, more mainstream Bitcoin conferences, just because I find that um, I think as an example, the Miami conference, the Oslo Freedom Forum conference, they're both really great, but they're very different. Mm -hmm. uh, with Miami, it feels a bit more. Uh, we're all Bitcoiners. We're all on the same page. We believe the same message. Uh it feels a little bit like an eco chamber, um, whereas mm -hmm. also Freedom Forum is refreshing um, in speaking about Bitcoin with activists. They give you pushback. And I think that's what Bitcoiners yeah. need is a little bit of pushback to refine our messaging, to refine the things that we're working on. It's super healthy for, for the industry. Uh, if we stay in our eco chamber and we just believe that everything's well and, and you know Bitcoin fixes everything and as great as it is, we're only hurting ourselves and more importantly, people that need it. So I say... Go and speak with these people on the ground, learn from them, get pushback, and let's get together to, to improve Bitcoin. Yeah, and I think that's one of the best messages we can put out is, you know, focusing on Bitcoin's practical solutions. Because if, 
if we have theoretical sound bites, if we yeah. throw awesome conferences and listen, like I know a lot of the folks over at Bitcoin Magazine, these conferences, and I know so many people's intentions are, are really good and well, and some really great folks, but some pushback. And again, I care a lot about Bitcoin. I care a lot about the community. I have a lot of Bitcoin friends on any political thought spectrum, those things. And so when I offer any criticism or any ways of encouragement to be better as a community in my thoughts Mm -hmm. um, and ideas, it's because I care about it and care about the messaging of these things. So I think focusing on those practical applications, A, it's a good place to start with orange pilling people, Mm -hmm. but also B, it's why we're here. You know, if it just remains theoretical, great conferences, the kind of things like, you know, good podcast, whatever, uh, but doesn't make that practical difference, then, then what are we doing here? So I agree with you. I'd love to see Bitcoin conferences probably look a little more like that um, and sound a little more like that and get pushback. I think that's super critical because what, you know, what we're facing right now is if there's pushback against Bitcoin, sometimes a lot of it's easily dismissible, right? It could be pushback on environmental stuff, pushback from Elizabeth Warren or others. Some of those just are not even starting positions because they're not even factual. But there are genuinely points of pushback against Bitcoin on like, how is Bitcoin going to fix X, Y, Z? Like, what do you mean if it fixes everything? Or is this, what do you mean by that? Let's, you know, maybe it's not completely disagreeing with that, but it's fleshing it out more. And I think first, let's get to an adoption stage and understand what Bitcoin is and financial freedom and these stories. But then second, you know, how, how can we address some practical problems with Bitcoin? What are some practical solutions and things like that? So Um, that's fantastic to hear. And I completely agree with you. Yeah. It's almost like being in a relationship. And if you're in a relationship and you always tell your partner, oh, you're so great. Oh, you're so wonderful. Mm. Uh, It's, it's superficial. You need to be able to give criticism and constructive criticism for, because you love that person, not because you hate them, but because you want them to be better. And I think as Bitcoiners, we need a little bit of that just to pull away, like you're saying, and listen to people that are on the ground. It's, it's so healthy for us. For when I started in Bitcoin, I was really scared especially on Twitter, to ask my basic questions. Mm. Uh, you know, questions like, okay, hold on. I don't really understand why if you're, uh, you know, a, a techie person and you are always at home and learning and you hear about Bitcoin, you heard about it in 2013, let's say, and you have so much Bitcoin now, like, I don't understand how that is so much better than somebody that hasn't had the luxury of time and education to learn about it. And you, that's just not fair. You had different mm. senses of times, different access to Bitcoin, different times, et cetera. Um, I, I don't understand how that's supposed to uplift people in the developing country, et cetera. But I was scared to ask those very basic questions because I thought I would get um, bullied or I thought I would get mocked. So I just mm. stayed with those questions by myself and tried to find the answers by myself. And uh, still were possible if I find a Bitcoiner that's, you know, kind enough, more so in person, then I will ask those more difficult questions. Um, but yeah. I don't sadly see those happening in our, in our social layers on, on social media and, and the big conferences. I would love to see more of that. Yeah. And that's too bad. And I think we have a long way to go. And I know there's been a lot of people and I try to be strategic with, I mean, first of all, I'll say people trying to have these conversations on Twitter it's not a place for conversations, not in, not in your respect, but like if you were to post something and then a lot of the comments are just filled with hate or trolling or whatever, maybe there's some sincere ones here and there, but, but Twitter and these algorithms and, and all of it is just meant to feed off of fanning flames. It, yeah. it really is. Um, I think Noster is getting a bit better at able to have 
real conversation with people, but it's also because the community is so small. So mm. could that happen once the community grows? That's a real thing that I'm trying to wrestle through as a real, you know, early adopter of Noster and promoter of, of Noster and trying to write and think through, through that as well. But, but I agree. And I'll say some very basic things in my mind. Like I think Bitcoin conferences should have more women, have more people from global audiences at conferences that say they're the biggest conference on, on the planet, even if they're US based, right? I don't get pushback on that or, hmm. or saying, oh, that's just a woke idea or that's a left idea or things like this. Some people are very sincere with that. And I think people assume I'm saying this. Um, some people assume I'm saying this to just check off a status box of, oh, the left, they just want to meet their diversity quotas or something like that. Right. And that, that really pains me because I say that because I think one of the keys to global adoption is having people see how global Bitcoin is and the global solutions it has, even if it's a US-based conference, when we're talking about it's the biggest conference in the world, we want that to be reflective. And it doesn't mean the speakers and attendees there are not good voices or good people to share certain messages. I just think we need to be more intentional about bringing those people in rather than saying, Bitcoin's for everyone, like show up and like you, it's merit-based. These are old arguments that people used to say um, when someone would say something is sexism or racism or something, it's like, well, no, it's just, it's open. It's merit-based. It's, uh, you know, everyone can, can try and, and be their best and they'll be here, right? We as a community, we have to be more intentional because fortunately, unfortunately, it's really unfortunate. The reputation of Bitcoin currently still as it stands politically, um, US-based, Western-based, um, is that it's not as diverse and welcoming as some of the other crypto projects, right? But I disagree with those crypto projects and really believe in Bitcoin. So just hammering on the point that Bitcoin is global and these are the real world solutions or some of the, the, the reason I'm here and trying to, to do any of this is amplify those messages. Because quite frankly, in the US or in the West, we don't need Bitcoin, right? We do, but, but we don't. In some of those real practical solutions, like you talk to some of the activists that you speak to, and the ways folks are actually using it because they need it um, yeah. in very different ways than than we do. Yeah. And when you start to get very political, and I'm not saying you, but in general, mm. for somebody that's not American, for me, it feels a bit fatiguing Yeah, because it, it's like, I have to care not only about my own politics and where I'm living and trying to survive and trying to help others because I believe my life here is short. I want it to have mm. meaning and I want it to have impact. Okay, so I know I have a finite amount of energy and this is what I've decided to focus on plus my own politics and stuff. When then social media and Bitcoin become so politicized, it gets fatiguing to the point where I've personally had to pull away and be like, we've just lost ourselves here. Like, mm. let's get back to what matters. What are our values? How do we uh, spread that? How do we just spend our finite amount of energy every day in giving back? And so- yeah. I agree with you. I think what could help with that is just having more voices, having like you're doing, having different guest speakers from different parts of the world come over and share their points of view. And hopefully they'll make their way to the conferences, which mm -hmm. is just more, more stimulating. It's more enriching. It's more fun. Um, it's only a win-win when you have more voices in the space. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think we're still getting there. And I mean, what's, what's great and exciting is Bitcoin is only, it's 14 years old. It's, it's wild how young this is and how much has already been done, but we still have to push through these cultural layer, layers, these global layers of like what it is, what it isn't with um, 
practical solutions. Um, yeah. So with with that, I want to touch on some of your your work um, and some of the things you like to focus on. And kind of what I want to ask you is: there a story recently, or I, I know you know you love all of your stories and different things, but there's some that stand out to you that you're like, this was really um, enriching, and I really enjoyed this this talk that I did, this podcast, this newsletter that I wrote, something like that. Is there something that stands out to you? It could be one or a couple um, that you view as like, wow, I'm really glad I'm doing what I'm doing. This is really important. Oh my gosh, that's it's like asking who's your favorite child. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> or different themes, right? It could be different themes that, that yeah. you've kind of seen, um, that are super yeah. important. Um, I, okay. I two come to mind and there were individual stories, uh, and they wrote them last year. Um, and that's how I realized that I love doing profile features of people. Um, one of them was a young Syrian boy, um, who, um, was there during the civil war and he, and mm. I, I met him, I talked with him and in talking to him and we had a translator cause I don't speak Arabic, but just seeing how like defeated he was. I've never seen so much, um, defeat and sadness in a person mm-hmm. and, you know, just trying to ask the questions and, and, you know, some of the, I was getting short answers, but I gave it time. I think we were a few hours just talking and it, and it was really incredible to hear her, his whole story about being in Syria, being in a classroom, getting bombed, uh, and seeing his friends, his classmates, um, be deformed and burned. And he was lucky that he got out, uh, okay. And then they had to spend the resources they had to rebuild the school. And then it got bombed again. And so it happened three mm-hmm. times until they were like, we, there's just no way we can have a school here. And because he was, um, under 18, I think, or approaching 18, then the Syrian government wanted uh, all young men to serve the army. And so his father was like, I need to protect my children. Let's go to the countryside and hide. Uh, and so he lived there hiding and trying to help out the farms and, and get cash to help his family. So you've got a civil war brewing. You've got a comp- an authoritarian regime, a dictatorship that is abusing their own people, a financial system, nothing works. You can't act, PayPal, all those international remittance service com- uh, providers will just bail at the times people need the most impossible yeah. to get money in. Um, so really, really struggling, fell in depression. Um, and then he said his mom, um, died from heartbreak, just not being able to, to endure all of that. So you realize like these mm. really economic, uh, misdemeanors and mismanagements, they affect your life so much. They affect your, your mental health, your physical health, your spiritual well-being. Your, your financial will be your family structure, and it just ruins everything. It obliterates everything. And then from there, he went and to Lebanon in pursuit of a better, uh, more opportunities. And there he, then you have hyperinflation in Lebanon. And so there's just no escape for him and there's no place for him to go. He doesn't have money to travel. And then he goes to a country that's worse off financially, but technically better security wise. And that oh. was just really sad to to hear just like how there are some people there is no escape for them there is no getting better no matter how you slice it it's just so so difficult for them and i talked to him and it was trying to tell him about bitcoin and it was really hard to talk to him about bitcoin because he didn't have a lot of education he wasn't able to finish high school so a lot of the basic questions he had he um he couldn't answer or find on google and then you have mm. poor internet connection 
it's just so many things going wrong. Um, but uh, I wrote that story. I sent it to him and he used the translator and Google Translate as well to read it uh, and, and send it to Arabic. And then he, he, he said he cried reading the story because it must be so impactful to go through such catastrophe in your life and then to see it reflected back to you in a way where it mm. honors you and the strength and everything you have survived and that you still keep going. And that moved him so much. And so I thought that yeah. that was very beautiful to have, you know, my my love, which is writing and my art, to to give him a little bit of hope to say, you know, no matter what happened, none of this was your fault. You're still going. You're so strong. Keep going. You're you're the hope for your future country. I'm here for you if I can help you. And we still maintain in touch. We still try to learn a little bit about Bitcoin and he will send me something. And, you know, we kind of write to each other. He's learning a bit of English and Bitcoin. He's got his wallet. So listen up. Somebody that survived the civil war moved to Lebanon, has his hot wallet. We're working towards a cold wallet, but, you know, baby yeah. steps. And um, I still ask him, do you still have your, your private key? Yes, yes, I do. And so that was really, really cool to form that relationship from writing to go from tell me what your stories I want to listen and I want to help amplify it um, to now it's uh, it's honoring your life and now let's help you uh, set some dreams and let's help you uh, finance them let's get you to have a Bitcoin wallet and through that article I was able to also put in his Bitcoin wallet and some big generous Bitcoiners sent him uh, Bitcoin as well and he was oh my gosh he was so happy he mm. would send me screenshots of all the sets he would get and he was just like over the moon he could not believe somebody else in the world had thought about him and cared enough about him to send him sats. So yeah. that was very inspiring. That was a beautiful story. And we still keep in touch. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and that's that's the one of the least we can do, right? Is if someone's like a Western, you know, Bitcoiner and hearing about these things, just supporting people like that, like gener generosity and just, you know, there's so much, you talk about global aid, which is a whole other conversation. So many strings attached, so many hoops, so many administrative burdens, but just the simple act of someone opening like a lightning wallet or Bitcoin wallet, whatever it is. And then receiving, you know, Bitcoin instantly from just people who are just like, oh, we want to, we want to support you. We want to, we want to help out. We want to kick in. Um, you've been through a lot. That's, that's incredible. And I can imagine that must've been a, a wild feeling. Yeah. And just because he has felt so forgotten for so long, where like everybody has betrayed him, mm. um, not his family, but his government, his, his school, his, his, his country, everybody around him in the international community, everybody's just turned a blind yeah. eye or abused him, them or just turned away and walked away. And so when mm. you have now somebody's, oh my gosh, financing me, it, it's, uh, it's just a little spark that I could see light in him. It was so beautiful just to wake up to his messages, uh, early the, in the mornings, early those days, uh, with his excitement. Yeah. And I bet he's been living through this for years. Right. And then seeing a story, however long it took to read or whatever, just compressing all of that yeah. into words on a page must've been really beautiful, but really overwhelming. Like you said, for him, just seeing like, wow, that is a lot. Yeah. And for um, me too, for me too, yeah. like and writing, just crying. And, and this is why I think stories are very powerful and why I think that sometimes in the Bitcoin space, we focus a lot on numbers and economics and statistics and data analysis some people are not moved by that. Some are. Mm. I am not moved by that um, because I just don't have an economics background, a history background. 
uh, that sounds very theoretical. I want to understand it and I will put some effort in and then I get lost and then I get, you know, a headache and, but I keep going at it because I think it's important to understand. But a lot of people like me love stories. I don't, mm. I don't want you to tell me that Bitcoin fixes this. That's your point of view. I don't know how you got there. Show me how it fixed something. Show me yeah. what was the struggle? What was the challenge? Uh, how did, did it, he come around Bitcoin? Why did he decide to give it a try? How did it help them? Storytelling is powerful. It has been powerful throughout history in helping people uh, understand the world around them, understand themselves and their culture. Um, stories are really, really important. And I think sometimes we say we have great stories in Bitcoin. I think we can do a better job of that. I think mm. uh, this is what we need. Uh, you know, if, if someone listening to this is like, oh, I want to contribute in the Bitcoin space and write, but I'm a bit nervous. No, get to it, write. Uh, and where possible, share stories. I think the majority of the people are inspired by stories. It's why, you know, they love movies. It's why they love books. It's why they love TikTok. Um, mm-hmm. so, so stories are very powerful. And, and so that's what I've chosen to do is just continue to focus on storytelling. Hi, everyone. Hope you're enjoying the episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bitbox. Now, Bitbox is a hardware wallet that's open source, incredibly secure and easy to use. And it's what I'm using to safely secure my Bitcoin in cold storage. Now, I know self-custodying Bitcoin can really be intimidating, but Bitbox is designed for ease of use without compromising on security. It's USB-C compatible and allows you to easily back up and restore your private keys with a micro SD card, which is really cool. Now, you can purchase the Bitbox using the promo code TPB at the link found in the show notes for 5% off your purchase. And I really want to thank Bitbox for their support of the podcast. And I'm really excited about this new partnership. All right, I'll let you get back to the episode now. Yeah, I got to I got to shout out you and so many others that are too long to list and more and more coming out for being like incredible women in Bitcoin, doing media, doing stories. Um, when again, that's really, really important. And bringing a diversity of perspective, um, bringing in different thoughtful approaches to stories. And I think that's super, super important. So for you, I know even recently um, to the time we're recording, but I think Marcy did like a guest post with you recently, right? Through through your stub stack. Yeah. So, and there's, there's so many others, right? And so many that I'm hoping to have on here as well that are doing far more important things than being on this podcast, but uh, just stories I want to highlight. So for you, what has that meant coming into the space being a woman contributing in in Bitcoin, but you also came in focusing on humanitarian issues, right? You're not saying yeah. I want to be a Bitcoin content creator. You're like, I'm focusing on these stories. Oh, Bitcoin has some practical solutions here and really trying to focus on that. But, um, you know, how have you found that? How, what it was it been like connecting with other female content creators? I think there'd be a lot of people interested in, in hearing about that that are listening too. Yeah, actually I came in first with Bitcoin. I was, uh, yeah. my earlier newsletter was like, Bitcoin is the way, it's the future. It will reach $100,000 by the end of this year. Mm. And then I thought, you know, that's speaking to Bitcoiners. I, I don't need to be a Bitcoiner speaking to Bitcoiners. I want to focus on non-Bitcoiners. So I'm going to pull mm. away and go a bit more softly into the topic, massage it, go around it and soft sell them Bitcoin. Uh, tell them about Bitcoin without them realizing they're learning about Bitcoin. And so that's where the shift in my newsletter started to happen, pulling away from Bitcoin and doing more storytelling. Uh, But being a woman in the space, um, it's, uh, it's, it was hard to find other women and to find other content creators as well. Uh, It's only been recently as of like, I met Marcia end of last year at uh, adopting Bitcoin. Mm. And then we didn't really stay in touch until more recently where we've just been chatting and, uh, 
uh, and just staying in touch and being supportive of each other. That's been really beautiful. And it's too Latina, so it doesn't get better for me. Right, um, right. But I haven't been a- another two women that have been really helpful uh, is Lee Kuen, I think is mm-hmm. how you say her last name, who is a uh, Forbes editor um, for crypto. Bitcoin. Okay. Been, yep. Yeah, I, I think I've heard opinion, of her. Yeah. Yeah, the reason why Forbes is going hard onto Bitcoin and just pumping out incredible work. Um, and then also Natalie Brunel has been really generous. I um, I, was, I think it was last year I said, okay, can, can we have a call? And she was generous to have a call. And I was mm. like, how do I do this? And and she was so in, inspirational and keep going at it, do the work. Um, and, you know, I still kind of email with her a little bit. And she's just like the nicest, most supportive woman. Like she just wants to see other women thrive and, and especially women doing content. So I've been very yeah. lucky to find them. Um, I would love to find more. So if you're listening, please reach out because I'd love to have a, a friendship. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And you can do it. Like these examples you gave are such good a- examples um, of women doing awesome content creation and bringing much needed diversity to the space. And again, it's, it's this, uh, I try I don't want to hammer on it too, too much, but I, I think I feel compelled to as well because I'm not hearing it enough. Um, obviously, those using Bitcoin, those like adopting crypto at large, because a lot of times the the way that people look at it is, oh, how many people are actually utilizing crypto? It's pretty diverse politically, gender wise, things like this, right? But content, outspoken voices, those writing books, those going to conferences, those that are in the face of when people say, what is Bitcoin? The people you know, folks are seeing when they Google things or when they see who's putting out content. So seeing that become more diverse, I think is only good for Bitcoin adoption, only good for people able to to resonate and see themselves in someone that's putting out content, right? Like mm-hmm. someone get, going to to your space versus another space because they might see a piece of themselves in you or connect with your writing or connect with the story. That's so invaluable. And, you know, I've started to see that tide turn as well, um, which is really great. And just want to encourage people to to go for it. And my hope is that, Hey, if people hear something I'm saying and they're like, Oh, people on the left can be into Bitcoin. Well, yeah, of course. Cause Bitcoin is just Bitcoin or, you know, we're trying to solve problems here uh, or people listen to you or so many others. Right. And just connecting with people that resonate with them, the more, the merrier. And, and we oh. need more of that for it to succeed. Yes. Yes. I agree. I agree. And if you're going to do content, I say, um, I think I heard this from Tim Ferriss, where it's just get used to working alone without applause. You're mm. not going to get any feedback, any support for a while. So just just continue, do it your way. And as long as you're being authentic to yourself, they say <laughs> it's yeah, rewarding. Yeah. You know, we'll see if that happens. But, right, um, right. but also the newsletter, I think, is part of the reason why I had the opportunity to connect with the Human Rights Foundation with Alex. Mm. I remember yeah. he read one of my newsletters and he DM'd me, you know, and it meant everything because I'm such a fan of Alex and his work and the way that he thinks and um, so it's been sort of like a, a slow progression and, and growth there between the Human Rights Foundation and myself. And next month, they're going to have um, the first Bitcoin, the, I think it's Global Bitcoin Summit in uh, Bitcoin Park in Nashville. Mm. So they're bringing in uh, like, uh, I think it's 100 people from 56 different countries, um, bringing in activists, uh human rights offenders with Bitcoin builders and investors. And it's just going to be a weekend of brainstorming, uh, putting our heads together. Um, so it's really cool. And this is what we need is that investment and in bringing all these minds together to brainstorm how we bring Bitcoin to the masses and not just yeah. focus only on content creation, only on being on social media, but okay, collaboration. This is my strength. 
content creation, where's the builders, where's the activists or human rights defenders? Okay, what can we do? What do you guys need? How do we help? So that's going to be yeah. really, really cool. Um, that's happening next month. So hopefully we'll have more to share then. Yeah. I mean, my, my philosophy and approach is like, I'm, I'm just the messenger. I, I try to be right. It's like, yeah. okay, for, for those that are listening, those that are connecting, those that might resonate, like who are the, who are the builders doing this work? It's nothing without, it's nothing without these builders. It's nothing without people finding super creative solutions to yes. problems, whether it's electricity generation in sub-Saharan Africa, whether it's okay, our currency really sucks and is not reliable. We can't access banks. Like we need to, to interact whether it's dictatorships and fleeing countries, it's so many problems that we, I can't even begin to personally grasp and understand. Um, so like content creation that's focusing on that, like that is a good starting place. Right. Yes. And then along the way, like you're mentioning, like early on, like I, I have, like, I'm a very humanities person, like studied sociology and to philosophy, mm -hmm. all these deep life questions. But getting into Bitcoin, I'm like, I'm trying. I'm trying to tinker around a little bit. I've got my lightning node. I've got like my Bitcoin <laughs> node. I've got things. And have fumbled along the way and not been afraid to, and I will say this to people, like, please don't be afraid to reach out to Bitcoiners, even if your assumption is, because you'd be surprised, you know, reaching out to some Bitcoiners, whether it's on Noster, but even if you're not there, because that's, you know, super, um, it's not the most mainstream at the moment, but on Twitter DMs, like, asking people some basic questions, you would be surprised how many people are willing to just interact and, and help you out on that front. Yeah. No, it, you know, no, no stupid question. There's no, you know, stupid questions in Bitcoin. We're trying to help people. And I think you can start to tell who, who some of those people in Bitcoin are that are really about just helping the everyday person get set up and get understand. And then that has a ripple effect, right? Then they might help the next 10 people and so on and so forth. And yeah. that's how this grows. Yeah. And also going to meetups like in Vancouver, I'm based mm. in Vancouver right now. We have, we had it's one of my favorite cities in the world, by the yeah? way, oh, it's Vancouver. So I, I proposed to my wife in <sighs> Vancouver because it's, um, it, it's just one of my favorite cities. I think it's one of the most beautiful cities in the world. So I, I love Vancouver. I'm Vancouver, always jealous. Canada, I'm all, right. Van, Vancouver, Vancouver, Canada. Canada. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Not Vancouver, Washington. Washington. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Close. But, um, I've always joked, like, we're like, maybe we'll move there at some point, but we're, we're here in, in based in New England. So. Anyway, yeah. I just want to throw it. It's beautiful. No, Absolutely it beautiful. is very beautiful. It is also very expensive. Yes, it is. Insanely expensive. Um, mm. But anyway, there's a big Bitcoin community here. It's very surprising. Um, and at first, I remember going to the first meetup that they started here. Um, and I was so nervous because I was like, you know, I'm just going to go. I don't know what mm. people are there like. And I go. And the first meetup was at a hair salon. Really? Yeah, a hair salon. Okay. Yeah. And it was a tiny hair salon for men. And yeah, uh, yeah. so shout out to Fussler because he organized, he's been the the horsepower behind the, the Vancouver mm. meetups. Go to this event, I open the door and I'm like, oh my God, it's all men. Oh yeah. Um, so I, if you don't mind me asking, when when was that? Oh my gosh. I think maybe last year. Okay. I, I, like in February, I want to say. Mm-hmm. I could, okay. I mean, and the years are a big blur now, but, um, yeah, I'll, but within like a year and a half ago or so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I was just so shy and I was like, Oh my God. And I was like, how do I, I can still walk away. I can still walk away. I'm not in. And I was like, no, go oh, in. Yeah. <laughs> so went in, went all the way and just the nerves of just all these grown men. Uh, mm -hmm. I was like, where are the women? Where are the women? No woman. Oh my God. There's no woman. I was like, for a while out there, I thought I was the only woman. Then I found another woman and uh, I was just really nervous um everyone looks intimidating but you just 
say hi to the person next to you. And then you quickly realize Bitcoiners are just hungry for friendships. Mm-hmm. That yep. everybody just starts chatting. And, and, and then with time, as I go to more of these Bitcoin meetups, it feels so much less intimidating going because there's men. Uh, because really, they're all very friendly. They're all so supportive. If I ask them a question at the meetup, they follow up privately with mm-hmm. resources and things that work for them or didn't work for them. So I would encourage people also to go to meetups. They're such a great way to connect uh, face-to-face and make friendships in the space. Yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, the meetups I, I go to here in, in Massachusetts as well, um, it's, it's kind of a similar thing. It's like, there's a lot of men, but there is at least conversation at our meetups about how do we get more people out here? How do we get more <laughs> me- women specifically to the meetups, right? Yeah. And I've also seen slowly but surely just whether it's on Twitter, but it's like advertising a local thing where it's like a meetup for women or a certain thing. And I noticed uh, probably, I think yourself and many others, whether it's at the conferences, doing certain things that are focused on women at the conferences, whether it's like casual, like after the conference or like after an event, like it's event specific, but it's also like a women's brunch. I think it, like Natalie might've said something about that before, um, which is really cool. So there definitely is an intention about having those be more, more inclusive and open as well to make sure the meetups, um, you know, early meetups, I can imagine probably felt very techie, very male focused, you know, these things, but seeing, huh, for this, for this to really work the way we want to, let's, let's open it up a bit more. I think Um, a lot of meetups are starting to be intentional about that, which is really cool. Yeah. And, and the question about how do we get more women into the space? I, is a really important one, but I just don't know how, what the answer is. I, when I talk to my girlfriends and, um, a lot of them, if not most of them, are married. Um, and so they'll be like, oh, tell me about Bitcoin. And I can tell that they're genuinely curious because like, how are you, Ayelan, like this girl that I've known and, and, in this particular way, now you're into Bitcoin, tell me about it. And I tell them about it and tell them how it's helping people around the world. It can be a great inf- inflation hedge, et cetera. And I can see things start to click. And I'm like, okay, I'm getting them in, I'm getting them in. Mm-hmm. And then it just ends with, oh, I'll talk to my husband about it and see what he thinks. I know in the past he's been against it. And it's always like this, uh, This uh, I've got to talk about this with my husband and then we'll decide hmm. together. And it's so interesting to me. It's um, how do we get, I mean, I understand that in a marriage, you need to make those uh, financial decisions together, yeah. right? Like you're, you're a team now and you know what affects one person affects the other, right? Like if you're going to put all your Bitcoin in and the other person isn't ready for that risk, you're going to cause some friction. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm just like, okay, well, that's what they think. What about your own research? And what about just, you know, following that curiosity? What about just putting in $10? I can help you. And mm-hmm. it's just, it seems like something that seems very small for me, seems very big for them. And and, and I, I wonder why that is. I wonder why it, you know, perhaps resonated with me more than other uh, girlfriends, but dying to know what the answer is to that, because I would love to see more of my girlfriends get into Bitcoin. Yeah. Well, I have all the answers to that as yes. a man. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, I think I, I think what's interesting too is like it is a very like when I first heard about Bitcoin and mind you, I've, I've been pretty open about it. I, I didn't really get into Bitcoin and started aggressively jumping down the rabbit hole probably like March of 2021. Okay. I had heard about it before. I first started to get into it a little bit practically thinking, okay, I like, I'm in nonprofits. I have like a master's degree. I have like student loan debt. This seems to be a little bit better of an option than just trying to figure it out with stocks on Robinhood or different equities or a retirement account. Cause I'm like, you know, my millennial generation, it's like, 
it's not the easiest for us in terms of the landscape of all of these things, yeah. right? And an expensive like Massachusetts area of the, the country as well, similar to what you're saying with Vancouver. So for me, it was kind of practical at first. And then I heard like Alex Gladstein and others, and I'm like, hmm. oh, there were certain clicking points. But my initial impression of Bitcoin before I really learned about it was crypto, crypto bros, young guys that like to gamble, like Miami, whatever, like that, that was the only thing, which it is what it is. It's just not my cup of tea. If it is for someone else, that's great. Everyone has their own motivation in Bitcoin, which is also the beautiful thing about it. So I think historically there's that knowledge of, well, the fact that typically these types of things or stocks or investments, um, have been like men focused on money and obsessing on money and greed is unfortunately something yeah. to get, can get tied to Bitcoin when it really shouldn't. Yeah, And there might be different appeals. Like in each one of your friends, there might be a different argument to be had, right? But I think that's just a very, that's a tough thing to get over right away. Um, historically, men have obsessed and fought a lot about just money and just greed and things like that. And not saying that women can't too, but just in a historical context and in general, that's typically the landscape of what we're dealing with. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. interesting. And I think it's, I just think that also it's a marathon, the Bitcoin education. It's not always going to happen overnight. Just It's a marathon, uh, long-term game. For me, I think um, you, you said Alex Gladstein was uh, an important role in your Bitcoin journey. For me, that was mm -hmm. Andreas Antonopoulos. Antonop. Yeah, I discovered uh, him around the same time, but yeah, for sure. He was instrumental. I, I, I heard, um, had heard about Bitcoin, thought, okay, I should buy some. Um, but okay, I should know what I'm buying. So I went in mm. and what is Bitcoin and found Antonov's video. And that was it. It was just, I was sold. Um, him talking about how broken the financial system is, how rigged it is for uh, a particular group of people that are close mm -hmm. to the printing machine, um, how inaccessible uh, the financial infrastructure that we have is for billions of people around the world. I was like, oh my gosh, yes, that makes sense. And And I felt that Listening to Antonov and learning about Bitcoin was the first time that I was putting words to the experiences that I had growing up. Mm. Because I'm originally from Venezuela and Bolivia, mm. authoritarian regimes, grew up in the Middle East, authoritarian regimes. Mm. And um, I had lived all these experiences where countries, you know, Venezuela, you know, rise and fall and, and then Syria and then Egypt, all these places where I lived. All I've known in my life is a country's rise and fall. Uh, there's uh, the abuse of power, the cruelty of that power, the control over the financial rails in people's lives. All that I knew to be true in my body. If there's mm. one thing is like the world is unfair. And so yeah. when I heard about Bitcoin, it was like, oh, I understand now why all the experiences that I lived, why they happened. And mm -hmm. so it didn't take long for me to convince, but it did take me, you know, my whole life to go through the, the experiences for me to be like, got it. Right. Yeah. Whereas I think a lot of people learn about it and they're in the comfort of the safety of, of you know, Canada or, or the Western world. And mm -hmm. there's so many luxuries afforded to us here. My worry is that we're getting comfortable. And when we're very comfortable, that's when, you know, things start to get a little messy and your rights can yeah. slowly be taken away from you without you realizing it. Yeah. Um, so that's also part of the reason why I'm very passionate about people living in the margin and helping them because it's, uh, it's the friends that I, I grew up with. It's the people I saw on the streets. It's, um, 
the, 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 the small businesses I saw and interacted with every day, right? Like I want to help them and I have them at the back of my head and I remember their faces. I remember the aging. I remember the, the stress and um, the pent up like fear and silencing yourself because you can't speak about dictatorships, you know, like even mm. when we moved to Syria, my dad had a family meeting and was like, okay, there's three things you're never supposed to talk about. Okay. And the first category is politics and religion. Second is sex. And I was like, dad, I'm not going to talk about sex. Oh my God. I'm 10 years mm. old. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're saying. It's so embarrassing. And, and money. And mm-hmm. I internalized. It's the same here, by the way. It's like the the is joke it? is those three. Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. interesting. Okay, I thought it was just us. I was like, oh my gosh, this is okay. I got it. Um, and I just internalized that and never spoke about it. You know, because he said if we speak about those things, um, we can end up in jail. Like, just don't trust anybody, not even your best friends. Um, the the walls have ears, so it's very mm-hmm. much a bit of if you've seen The Handmaid's Tale, a little bit of like the eye watching. You felt that there were mm-hmm. always people watching. Um, and so as a little girl, I internalized, and I was like, okay, just hide, don't say anything, don't speak up, yeah. don't share your opinions. And that's a, you know, a strong thing to happen to a little girl who's already in the best of circumstances told to hide. Now it's like, no, hide to survive. And so I spent yeah. the rest of my life just staying quiet until I learned about Bitcoin. And I was like, ah, I can't keep quiet now. And I think Bitcoin just gave me the bit of like, uh, substance and, and, uh, uh, um, courage to speak up because I believed yeah. in it so much that I was like, you know what, I'm willing to, to risk a, a lot of what I've been uh, led to believe and risk my sense of safety for it. Because mm-hmm. what is more important, you know, me and my life or a better world. Right. So yeah. if I can help contribute to that, to making a better wor- world, a more fair world, especially for people that can't speak up, then I'm going to do it. Yeah. So, I've been and talking to so many women in the space from, from all over with so many different reasons why, but there's some similarities in what you said, especially the speaking up thing. And just thinking of there's like Bitcoin is one of the greatest liberation tools for so many different groups, for so many different reasons. It benefits everyone in different ways. But I think talking about like ownership and talking about like how talk to many people who are content creators, like women content creators saying, this has helped give me a voice to say, I'm going to put my thoughts out here. Like, no, like, no, screw this. Like, I'm going to be more bold. And maybe you were taught growing up, you no, know, you have to be quiet about certain things or don't put out your opinions or these people talk about that, but not you. So that's profound as well. But also just thinking about like stories as well from like Afghanistan, using that as an example, when the Taliban regime came under power again and, and you know, women weren't able to access bank accounts in so many, so many countries as well. It also happens in the West as well. If a, if a woman is in a really unsafe marriage and doesn't have control of money or doesn't have access to the bank account in the same ways it can happen here um but in those places sometimes it's literally legally not allowed like bitcoin is ownership bitcoin is fu money bitcoin is like allowing women around the world to actually own something and not have to question should i leave this marriage no i should i should can i've got some bitcoin i've got a support group that will send me bitcoin if i need it so I can get around this. I can flee this regime. I can flee this relationship. I can, you know, for women that find themselves in that situation. And I'm glad a lot of those stories are getting out there more and more because I think it's super profound for, for women's rights as well. Yeah. And it's also, to, you just reminded me of what Natalie Smolensky said is that having property rights, owning property is really important because yeah. if you don't have that, then you set up yourself and your community to a totalitarian state. 
If you yep. don't have that, then your the regime, the government, whoever can go in into your bank account, pull your your money. It can do whatever yep. it wants. Um, and so I think with Bitcoin now, nobody can. I mean, if you take care of your private keys, nobody you know should be able. Yeah, it's to. really hard to if you do it right, right? Like, yes, I, I will say at the end of the day with Bitcoin, like the U.S. government could show up to my door, like barge in. They they most likely wouldn't, um, but there is still force attributed with government that could could get to it like someone it would but it's really hard compared to the way a lot of governments are and i would say the u.s and canadian governments in a lot of ways um are making it easier and easier to just simply click a button and remove something from you or click a button and make it impossible for you to transact like these things were more foreign i'd say before the patriot act especially in the united states which set a global precedent in terms of surveillance after uh 9-11 yeah but Every year, like you said, and like Matt O'Dell echoes, echoes a lot, is like it, it happens slowly over time, this erosion. And I really want progressives and folks on the left, and we know how to politicize everything in the US, that's for sure. But it has been concerning for me, the politicization of privacy, of free speech, of property, these certain things that weren't really used to be a part of the left, but maybe it's just because current administrations have been from the left, quote unquote, um, for a little bit now. But I want progressives to understand these things we're talking about, if you hear us talking about privacy or ownership or free speech and the importance of that, these aren't like right wing pipe dreams or, or things like that. Like some in the U.S. have politicized it that much. What we're talking about is really important for everyone, for humanity, and it has nothing to do with politics in, in that way, right? Like Bitcoin is a political action in a way because it's not state money. It's, it's your money and your way of interacting. So it's political in that way, but not political in left-right ideologies. And it drives me absolutely bonkers um, at the end of the day. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's so much you said that I want to speak to. <laughs> I feel like Please I could do. speak with you for hours, but surveillance is something that's really in my mind these past like few months is the, mm. the erosion of privacy. Like you're saying, I did a story on um, Gulbahar who... Haiti Waji was the last name, um, who also spoke at the Oslo Freedom Forum and talking about surveillance, right? Like governments are investing billions and billions of dollars and more every year on surveillance technology. And I think, is it London mm -hmm. that's a city that's most surveilled? Like there's the most cameras in every corner? I mean, I could believe that because I used to even just try, I mean, London's also, I love London and, and the UK. Um, but yeah, it was kind of the CCTV and it was kind of like us, us Americans going there, or US citizens for the West, we're like, oh yeah, it's just kind of a part of, of culture. Um, although everyone's trending in that direction. Yeah. But um, just the, the, the use of surveillance to track people and then to eventually uh, lure her back into China. Uh, they were surveilling mm -hmm. her and her family. They were living in France, um, but they were originally from Xinjiang. Um, mm. Went to France. Um, I had been there for 10 years and her daughter was at a protest and I posted it on social media. The Chinese government saw that Lord Golbahar, the mother, back to China, to Xinjiang, and then incarcerated her, like put her in prison, mm. inhuman conditions, like brutality. And you just realize like then in doing that research for her, the interview, 
I was just seeing how the government, the Chinese government was just, it, the surveillance has gone so good that even if you try to hide your face with a cap and sunglasses, they can still tell by the way that your hips move and your walk and your stance, who you are. So mm, it's wow. really hard to actually hide. And when you look at all your finances, all of that going online and, you know, in Vancouver, you have a bus pass, which is connected to your credit card, for example. So if you do something wrong, in my head, I'm going like 30 years down the road then you can't even you can't even travel you can't spend your money i mean so 30 is hopeful i don't want to be too much of a doomsayer yeah yeah no but i it's you know privacy is really really important for freedom i ask anybody of the billions of people that are you know in living in dictatorships dictatorships will in my opinion use surveillance to track people to silence them to silence journalists activists um it's it's a weapon and it's a smart weapon because there's no blood being shed. So you can get away with a lot of crime mm -hmm. uh, by surveilling and cutting people off financially. But I, I do think that there's uh, people that are starting to question and being like, oh, maybe I shouldn't post this. Maybe I shouldn't post my children on social media. Or maybe I shouldn't do this on social media. So people are thinking, I'm not hopeless that they're going to fall into this trap. I think people are starting to feel like there's a bit of that uh, social fatigue, social media fatigue, but also maybe I shouldn't post everything and just being a bit more careful. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I have hope I'm not, it's, it's a fine balance being a Bitcoiner because you're like, Oh my gosh, the world is falling apart, but also, Oh my gosh, there's so much hope and there's so much beauty and light and all this technology can help humanity elevate. Um, it's kind of balancing those two realities and going between them uh, to keep sane. If you stay in the, you know, the world is falling apart yeah. camp forever, you're only hurting yourself and we need you to stay healthy to do work that helps people around the world. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I, I joke too with, you know, studying sociology in the way that I did, I, I, and I try to be better about this. I feel like my brain is trained to identify problems and see problems, but also I want to try to focus on solutions because yeah. you can, you can wake up and see only problems every day. Um, yeah. And it's not a way to live or see only security risks every day, which are real, but you have to live. There's a finite amount of time on earth. You have to live. You have to enjoy life and take care of yourself while also caring about these issues and, and wanting to do more stuff there. Um, and, and I want to say this too, before we move on from it, the like uh, facial recognition and surveillance. So what's interesting, and the reason I mention it so much too, is, you know, whether it's people listening or people that will listen at some point from the left. Um, it's interesting in the US, politicians in the left, the very most progressive part of um, senators and congressmen and women, uh, one of the things that is a big no-no right, right now is facial recognition technology with police departments. So from the hmm. left, many people are starting to realize this is dangerous because of racial profiling. Interesting. So they're making that connection to where uh, racial profiling, like this technology can actually find someone guilty that was actually innocent, right? Or, or say, oh, our technology said that this person did, but actually it was Brad who did it. It was just mm -hmm. the facial recognition technology didn't get it right. And it profiled wrong based on someone's skin color or based on someone's features. And it's typically racial profiling African-Americans versus other groups in certain cities. So a lot of progressive politicians are actually going against some of these companies and saying, Hey, XYZ police department, we actually don't want you to use that. You need to shut it down. There's been local ordinances passed in certain cities to not allow that. I'd say right now, because we're still heading in that direction. So in some regards, these politicians, these progressive politicians are getting it saying, mm -hmm. okay, that's not okay. Cause they're racial profiling, but they're not making the connection to like federal government surveillance or surveillance of bank accounts or surveillance of like 
you should or should not have this this property or God forbid, social credit score in the future, CBDCs, mm. they're not making that connection yet. So in that way, it's concerning. But they are starting to make the connection of like, okay, it can be used against innocent people in their everyday lives. And so I'm asking and encouraging, you know, folks on the left, if you've heard this marketing, think about just the broader implications, apply that to other situations. It's all not good. There's not a net benefit to this period. So I am hopeful that we'll get there, but short-term concerned. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> want to try to keep getting the message out that just lack of privacy yeah. is not good for anyone. It, no. it, it's not. So let's keep pushing for those privacy enabling freedom tech. And I, I use that word a lot more now. Once you get into Bitcoin, you start caring about a lot of other things too. Yes. In new ways. Maybe you cared about it before, but in different ways. So I talk a lot about freedom tech and Bitcoin is in that. Noster is in that. Mm -hmm. Different messaging apps like Signal are in that. Um, and more will come. So that's why I'm kind of assigning this label of freedom tech because I think that's hugely important as well and just as important as Bitcoin. Yeah, I'm going to steal that freedom tech. On, you know what? Not to mention him too much, but I, I, it was probably Matt O'Dell. I mean, a lot of people use these terms, but Matt O'Dell talks a lot about freedom tech um, and promoting that, that message of, and it opens the door for new technologies to be created, right? Like, I don't think there's a better money or going to be better money than the mm -hmm. Bitcoin protocol. So that I'm very long Bitcoin, but there's always new technologies that are implementing the protocol or implementing private communications that activists can use or making it harder for the state or corporations or individuals to abuse their power on other people. I think those will continue being built out and we just need to support open source technologies that do that uh, from all walks of life. Yeah, which is why I'm also very excited about Nostr. Nostr is really exciting. Once you start posting and getting sad, zapped, it's, it's a bit addicting. Then you want to get, get witty and start sharing stuff and, and get those sets. So it's been really cool to be on there more recently, a bit late to that game. Yeah, it's super fun. I mean, I'd say it's very fun. So people getting into it is really fun to use. It feels like a small early days of Twitter community. So you still have an opportunity to do that. Um, but also the underlying tech, it is, it is freedom tech. And I, every episode I try to talk to about it, whether it's on the recording or after with people, I'm like, hey, are you on Noster? We got to get you on Noster. I'll make sure you get sent sets and stuff if they're not already on it. Um, even Farida and I talked about it a little bit uh, in our episode and even afterwards. And her episode will be already out at this point when, when this one's out. So a lot of activists or people are starting to see the importance of it. Because again, you know, in the US and in Canada, there, there, is, there is censorship. There are people being deplatformed. Yeah. Absolutely. But as of right now, unlike some governments, like you say, like Chinese social media, right? There's not a concept of, of this or other social medias where there's such censorship. Like I, I think about the Turkish election that, that took yeah. place when Elon went along with the Turkish government requesting that they censor some candidates that were against the leading candidate um, and, and president. Right. And Elon's argument, which is absolutely ridiculous, was, well, do you want people to have Twitter or not have Twitter? Because that was my only option or Twitter is going to get banned. And I was like, you're running a business. You're trying to maximize money to pay for the debt that you incurred through a stupid financial decision and your ego. That's what you're trying to pay for. So he uses an argument, wolf in, or a wolf in sheep's clothing to say, well, it's better to have mostly free or like, you know, it's, it's good enough, right? Sometimes there's some censorship, but that's okay. It's better to have that than to have nothing for citizens in a country. 
that's why Noster is being built. And these yeah. devs and clients, um, everyone, they, I think I posted this, like, not that I care about riches or people being rich, but I'm like, they should be some of the wealthiest people in the world is people building open source technology, building it out, putting that protocol out there. And then people can use the code. There's no trademarks. There's no copywritten. This is true cypherpunk technology. These people are brilliant and all they're, all they're asking for, they're not really asking for anything. They see a need and they're putting it out there. And also they're obsessive about making really good products and things, but they're also like, this is a need. And they really care about the world when they're building this out. And you and I can try to tell those stories, right? Maybe they can't tell the stories the greatest because they're coding all day and their brains just stop working at a certain point. <laughs> but maybe we can tell these stories too. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing that they're doing too is like um, allowing for long form content to be on it and for, for writers to get monetized. Yeah. So I get that question more yeah. recently because yesterday I posted like, you know, here's a set of uh, topics I've been writing about on my newsletter on Substack. And then I've gotten a few people being like, why are you writing this on... I think it's Abla News. Why aren't you a Nostor? And it's like yeah. I, I, the, the amount of innovation that's happening in the space, in the freedom tech space, is mm -hmm. really hard to keep up with. Um, I got yeah. onto Substack because it was, at least at the time, it was easy. Uh, a lot of the writers were getting on it, so got on it. And just to like stay on top of everything that's going on in just the world in general, and then Bitcoin, and then Nostor, it's just like a, a lot is going on. Um, it's hard to keep up, but I, I would love to do that. It's not just so post like as I would on a social network, but as a writer, how do I bring my writing into this and how do I monetize that? Um, so I'm yeah. going to be exploring that a little bit and see how it goes. Yeah. And, and I get it too. And it is hard to keep up with. Right. And I think a huge part of it is, and I, you know, I feel the same way with the podcast. Like I am totally in on Noster. I have my personal convictions with all these things, but we also want people to hear about the podcast or hear about other things. And people are still on Twitter. They're at Facebook. Yes. They're at where they're at. So it's this borderline. You don't want to completely cut off content for people that aren't there yet and punish them for not understanding these things or jumping in. We also don't want to support that. It's like a really tough balance. So it's like a tr you try to put out the message on these platforms that, hey, this is what we're doing um, and, and selling that rather than just saying, as of tomorrow, like, you know, this, you have to like only access my content through Nostra or something yes. like that. And some people do that and that's their decision. And I get it. I get both sides of it, but it is, it is tricky to try to live in both worlds. You get it. Like how we always say, you got to meet people where they are and, and they're not yeah. all in like, a, I don't even know how I would have found out about, I think Abla news. Um, yeah. where, where, where would I have found that? I'm not really sure. And I'm already in the space. Like I'm living and breathing it every day and somehow I missed it. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't yeah. know, maybe it's, it's new. Um, it's, uh, it's not a, a thing of not being enthusiastic or, or bullish on it. I completely am. It's just even I didn't have access to it because it was hidden somewhere in the, in the universe of, of, of Freedom Tech or Noster. Um, but it will be yeah. really- Yeah, and I, I just posted my first. Oh, your what first, were you saying? Uh, sorry, what did you post? Your first article on Abla News? Yeah, I posted a piece of it because at this point, it'll probably be out in Bitcoin Magazine by the time this comes out, but um, an article on Noster and, and Freedom Tech focusing on that. And I was like, you know, I put out a little sample of it on Abla News just to try it out, just to yeah. see what it was like. And so it's on Abla News, but it's also like it kind of bolds it and ties it right into your your profile and like posts it for you, uh, as we would historically say, on like your your on all clients, wherever your relays are running. So that was really cool to see. But yeah, I just saw it like randomly on Nostra the past couple of months. 
seeing people using it here and there. But, you know, I think people need to realize too, and a lot do. And one thing I'm trying to focus on without just burning myself out is like Noster is, there is eight to 10,000 daily users in terms of people actually posting content on Noster clients worldwide. That's what the data is saying right now. That's so small, right? There's, there's a lot of people who have created in pubs and created their account for people that don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of daily users, we're still just getting there. And I think part of it too, is there's such an incentive to be on Instagram, Twitter, others, because you get that, those views, you get those clicks, you get those likes, you get that engagement. Like You know what to post that will either inflame or reward or do whatever in the right way for the algorithm to get your post way through the roof on Twitter, on other places. Nostra's not really built like that. There's also, there, there isn't an algorithm currently that runs those things, um, which is good and bad. There's also some solutions they're trying to come up with to create algorithms that you create and you choose that you're in control of. So you can filter your own content uh, the way that you want, but there's not that many users, right? That are actually seeing your, your no. content. So a lot of people that are used to posting things and whether that's their livelihood or that, whether that's the way they connect with folks, it could be a different shift in mentality, but also you're not going to get rewarded for posting insane things on Noster <laughs> the same way someone might be used to on Twitter. Like Twitter. some accounts, whether it's in Bitcoin, whether it's politics, wherever, can post things and it's an inflammatory language or way of interacting. And then the algorithm just shoots it through the roof and you see it on your profile at some point, or you see it in the trending section. You're like, why is this trending? This isn't, this isn't good for humanity. This isn't, this isn't good to sit and look at all day. That's what's rewarded under the current system. Noster doesn't reward that. So for some people, it takes a mental shift to go on on board with it as well. Yeah. I've been struggling with that a little bit because I feel that on Twitter, I've been pushed to the edges of Twitter. I feel, I, I suspect I've been shadow banned. I, I don't get the same engagement. I Everyone have has, I think, especially in the Bitcoin world. You think so? Okay. And I then think so. yeah. I have, and then also, like you say on Noster, there's not that many users. And so it's like, okay, well, I am working so hard to tell these stories. I almost have no way mm. of having an outlet to share those stories. And I'm Somebody that doesn't have, you know, decades of experience in journalism or in uh, entrepreneurship, right? Like I'm almost coming at this with like, as a, you know, maybe a nobody, right? Like all I have is heart and curiosity and doing this work Mm -hmm. and I'm trying to just help the, the message of freedom spread. I don't have like Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all those algorithms aren't aren't going to help me. They're punishing me for it. And then Noster, people aren't getting on board because, you know, it, it, we still need a bit of more convincing and education to do there. So it's really tough to be uh, an independent writer uh, trying to do work because you can put all the hours you want into this, but if it's just not, you know, getting rewarded, then how are you going to um, to tell the truth and how are you going to have eventually like make a living if, if that's how you earn your money? So it's really, really tricky. It's, it's, yeah. um, very riskful to be a, a content creator right now. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully the long term changes a little bit and Nostra starts to re- blow up with the masses. And um, you know, it'll just be really interesting and cool to see activists going in there as well and, and share their message. And and you know, it'd be different than Twitter, like you're saying, it's just too inflammable and too too spicy and too um, too numbing for the brain. I think at times. Yeah. And and everyone can fall prey to it. I think, you know, there is a lot of quiet before the storm. 
I think in terms of like it, just even us Bitcoiners and whether you are writing about Bitcoin or not, you've been open and out there about Bitcoin. So I think yeah. a lot of content creators also have to be prepared for the bull market and, you know, the halving and all of these things that will come next year. And your content podcasts in general might see a lot more people coming into it. It's silly. I, I roll every time because it's just a price movement, right? It's a, it's oh a price gosh. movement where there's the tech. We, it's been here. The tech has been here. We've been here. We're, we're here. Where are you yeah. now? You know what I mean? For whether it's content creators or whether it's uh, places and nonprofits throughout the global South trying to raise money or, you know, clients trying to raise money or these tech trying to raise money. Like next year, it's going to be through the roof and then it'll die down again. And it's just kind of these cyclical motions of business that affect content creators, affect nonprofits, affect for-profit businesses. It affects everyone almost unanimously. And I think, you know, for yourself too, it's quiet right now, but um, I, at the time of recording too, I'll shout this out. Um, you on Nostar got a little jack bump as well. Um, <laughs> recently, I can't remember yes. when it was, but so you're putting out stuff that people are seeing because it's, it's yeah. different in terms of the space that, that you're in. It's needed and it shouldn't be different. And I say that because like, this is some of the main stuff we should be talking about is the, fo the things that you're focusing on, these humanitarian issues, these global stories um, about financial inclusion, about dictatorships, like this should be the norm, um, but you're putting out great work. So I think people are seeing it and I think it will pay off in the end uh, with a lot of what you're doing. And hopefully you'll start to see that that soon. Yeah, and, and I just like the words, but also just to see, um, developers and builders, everybody be like, oh, right. Okay. We have this particular case, right? Like one of the stories I featured in the newsletter was this gentleman called Gary and he is blind. So how mm -hmm. do we yep. make wallets be accessible to blind people? Right? Like if we're always talking yeah. about Bitcoin as like, um, I don't know, an investment in hedge, uh, inflation hedge, all of that, like the economics part of it, then we forget people that, that are, you know, different to us that, you know, have different physical or intellectual, uh, disabilities. Um, that's really important, yeah. right? So I almost see my work as like, okay, let me find people and then let me give those stories to the people in the space that are building stuff to say, hey, don't forget, we've got to include these people. We've got to build for them. Um, so kind of see it like mm -hmm. as a bridge between those two worlds. Um, because I, again, I, I don't come from a technical background. I'm not an entrepreneur, but it's, re I found my niche. I found what I'm passionate about. I found also what my skill set is, which um, is I discovered I, I like to write. So, and then just going in that direction. Uh, not everybody's going to be a builder and not everybody's going to be a content creator. Yeah. So whatever that path is for you, go for it. It's not been done. And if it has been done, it's never been done by you and we need it to be done by you. So I'm really, really yeah. big on and helping and encouraging people to get onto the space and contribute in whatever capacity that is. And you don't even know what that's going to bring, right? Like when I started the newsletter again, I didn't realize that that would mean one day I'm seeing the Oslo Freedom Forum, right? The Financial Freedom Track Day uh, with mm -hmm. Ben. Um, that was really cool and and such yeah. a sweet surprise from from life itself that it's just like, just do your thing, go down your own path, doors will open up, and you'll feel so rewarded when you start to see the impact that you have. And um, so it's a really exciting time to be in the Bitcoin space, I think. Yeah, and, and those are some of the most rewarding things. Like, I'm sure you've got messages just of people being supportive and, um, you know, same on my end. I mean, some of the most important messages to me are when I receive messages from folks that maybe I don't identify with the norm cultural community that people think of with Bitcoin, whether it's someone from the left, someone from the trans community reaching out and just saying like, thanks. Um, I'm uh -huh. kind of here in the backgrounds, like listening. 
and I appreciate it. Um, you know, I feel heard, I feel seen, and I'm able to access Bitcoin content in a new way now, even though they already were, but they were trying to, you know, hold their breath or like keep their opinions to themselves because they were scared to be who they are in this community or, or whatever the case may be. So more people they can identify with coming into the community and saying, okay, now I'm going to be a bit more vocal and people being more vocal in the, the community, whether it's writing, whether it's going out to meetups, uh, y- you get to meet other people, maybe your voice gets more well-known and then you do that same thing for someone else. And it's a, it's a ripple effect and a greater impact. So again, someone can get into Bitcoin. If you just want to hold it and have it as a better savings account for your family, that's great. That's fine. Yeah. Like do, do what is best for you. But I think there are a lot of people that it's like, we, we need you and want you. Like your yes. brilliance and expertise, whatever. There is no certain type of person that should or shouldn't be engaging with Bitcoin. Like it's you, whoever you is. Yes. Uh, we want to help make the world a better place. Like come and join us. That's yes. I, what I hope the message can be. And this is why I thought also the whole conversation around building a citadel was mm. uh, to me quite sad to see um, because I mm. thought, um, and I didn't give it a lot of attention because I was like, this isn't something I, I buy into. And I know the intentions were great. I, Bitcoiners, for the most part, have these giant hearts. Uh, they, they're very yeah. kind and stuff. But then when I would hear these narratives around building a citadel and we'll have the Bitcoiners there and I'm like, oh, hold on, uh, an exclusive community where only those that were lucky enough to understand how Bitcoin works and can use it live. It sounds not very different to an exclusive community in the fiat system where people that understand how it works can then um, mm. use it to their advantage. Uh, to me, it was like, it's kind of the same thing, except that, you know, yeah. one's framed as good or bad. And, and I thought that that was so dangerous and exclusive and, and not, you know, it's for some people, it's not their fault. They're not into Bitcoin. You know, some of them don't have, couldn't read like my grandma couldn't learn to read. So, you know, she's yeah. indigenous. My family, indigenous descent, they didn't get to go to school, read, et cetera. Um, they don't have a lot of the critical thinking skills that you're taught in, you know, university or school, whatever, or people have really tricky relationships with money, with freedom, especially mm-hmm. if they've been oppressed for a while, right? Like it, things take time, right? And so just because they didn't get it, this whole, I don't have time to teach you, or you don't get to be a part of this uh, citadel is very, very dangerous. It's very sad. I was sad to see that happen. Um, it, it's, uh, you're, you're pushing people out, even though you mean so well. Um, so we have to kind yeah. of stop saying who gets to be in the citadel. We st- stop saying who gets to be a real Bitcoiner or not. Let people live. If, you know, they, the whole meat eating thing, I'm vegetarian slash vegan, but have now started eating meat. Uh, not because Bitcoiners push me. I mean, maybe a little bit, but because um, I, it, I I had problems with iron. Okay. So I was like, okay, I'll eat meat, but I, I listen to my body and I make my own decisions, but please don't tell me what a true Bitcoiner is, right? Bitcoin is for everybody. It's inclusive mm-hmm. by design at its protocol layer. Like it's, it absolutely does not care if you are a human or a car, right? Like, so yeah. why should the people care who is in Bitcoin and who's not, who's a real Bitcoin or who's a not? And so if we're on Bitcoin, uh, you know, it is my opinion that we don't get a say into who, who's in or who's out, like what your opinion is about trans, gay, animal, I, I just don't care. It just almost like there shouldn't yeah. be a space for those conversations. The The space that we should be having is, you have a question about it? Well, let me help you. How do I help you? What question yeah. do you have? And that's it. 
right? Like, because if we continue down this path, it's my fear that then it's just the human intervention messing with Bitcoin. And uh, we're not going to see the adoption that we're all hoping to see. And we 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 suffer for it too. Our lives are made uh, more dull and boring by by not having people of diverse mm-hmm. backgrounds and beliefs, right? Like we win. It's a win-win. So I'm very, very passionate about Bitcoin being out to the masses. And I don't care who you are. The more, the merrier. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I And I think in order for us to get there, and I don't mince words when I say this. I mean, one of the things I got passionate about early on is, and there are many folks that share this belief too, but when I was learning about Bitcoin, I had to weed through a lot of content that I have very different values from that person who might be writing that content, but also certain chapters in a book or certain things that didn't have something to do with Bitcoin they were talking about in a Bitcoin book or in a Bitcoin podcast, right? And everyone is fully able to have their own views and beliefs and things like that. But I think I started to realize like mass adoption is really going to be hurt here if we tie Bitcoin to a political identity. So I do get very frustrated when people would suggest that I or others are making Bitcoin political. And I'm like, listen, we're coming in because Bitcoin for a while, and this is no secret. Like, I think people are kidding themselves. Like Bitcoin at large, the Bitcoin community, when people are just kind of fumbling through Twitter or online or whatever, you might see that it's more like in the US specifically, but it kind of the US has overarching reach throughout the world as well. But in the US, you see that it's like dominated by white men conversations or dominated by a Judeo-Christian background or dominated by meat eating culture or whatever. Those things are fine for people who want to do that. I'm not saying there shouldn't be there. I would be just as critical if people were saying that Bitcoin is only a left-wing movement or only Democrats are in Bitcoin or whatever the case may be in the U.S. context, right? I'm passionate about making sure people realize it's not that. Because before I got into Bitcoin, a lot of my friends and myself viewed Bitcoin as that. And once I learned about it, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like one of the most incredible things. And oh my gosh, people are thinking it's blank. And many people on their left are to blame for this, that criticize Bitcoin and just attach things to it that are not the case, not in good faith. But a lot of folks in the Bitcoin uh, community are not helping themselves and not helping the the movement by doing this. And I do know quite a number of right-wing Bitcoin maxis that are very much understanding of this. And they're saying, these might be my views, but like Bitcoin's for everyone. Here's why. Let's get out a more diverse message about Bitcoin. And that's fantastic. But people saying or people pretending that's not the case still and that, oh, it's for everyone. Just grab a seat. And it's like, yes, but first we need to try to talk about some of these things and be open and honest about what it is and isn't and being honest about like Bitcoin is for everyone and and stop posting and trashing on certain types of people or certain types of diets or or whatever the case may be when you're also talking about Bitcoin in the same sentence, right? Yeah. Like you can have different <laughs> views and beliefs and that's fine. But there's so much of that that some people are just not able to push through to get to Bitcoin. And I think they should, but sometimes it's hard. But just instead of criticizing, like just give constructive feedback or help encourage and build, like just keep that negative energy and the pointing finger to yourself. Like just let people build, write, contribute in one way, and let's just encourage each other, not fight all the time. And I think you're right yeah. that sometimes it becomes too political. And I think even with the messaging, um, something that makes me just stop a little bit sometimes is when I see um, the the messaging around like Bitcoin is the U.S. dream or something like that. Um, 
is the American, American dream. dream or something like that. Yeah, the American dream. And and to me, it's like, mm-hmm. what is the American, like, to me, it's, no, it's it's the human dream. The idea that we have this American dream is because so many people were in such dark circumstances back home. Like nobody would really like to leave their family, their country, their culture behind. There were, a lot of them were forced to. Um, and so it's not the American dream. I think it's the human dream. It's the, it's everybody from every corner of the world, it's their hope to have freedom. Um, so that's another way that I also mm. see politicized is like, um, for somebody that's not American, I hear that and I'm like, okay, now I'm out because that's not my dream, right? Like to, to go to the U S it's not my yeah. dream. I don't identify, but I do want freedom. I want to rebuild my country. If I can contribute to rebuilding Venezuela, I would love to. Um, so it's, it's for everybody. Everybody yeah. should be in the space. And so, um, yeah, the, I think we need a, a sort of a coming back together and, and saying what our values are as a community and, and, and contributing to that in our different skill sets in our different ways. Yeah. And, and pushback, encouragement, just all of the conversation is, is welcome and needed, right? It's not a, it, like these echo chamber conversations amongst Bitcoiners, like there needs to be pushback. There needs to be respectful dialogue. That's important for any community. And Bitcoin is a community. It, it is in terms of like a movement that people believe in. It's still relatively small. It's bigger than it was in 2013, yeah. but it's still relatively small. So it takes a lot of different voices to, to get to that mainstream adoption. Um, yeah. And there's been exactly so right. much progress made in the last 14 years, like you say. So a lot of innovation too, yeah. that doesn't get covered in mainstream media. It's so exciting to see the work that's happening in the lightning space and Bitcoin Nostra, like all the stories of people being helped by Bitcoin. That's so encouraging. It's really, really amazing. I said mm-hmm. that we don't see it on like CNN or, or Fox, um, but you know, if if you kind of have doubts about Bitcoin, just, you know, know that there is so much uh, brain power and energy and funding, like even from the Human Rights Foundation going into the space, like all of that mm-hmm. work is happening behind the scenes. People are just at home working away, trying to build a better world. That is super cool. And it's going to be really interesting to see where we are in six months from now, in two years from now, all the innovation that has come out from people yeah. building in the summer and in bear markets. Um, so I suspect that mm-hmm. even the silence yeah. is telling it's, it's going to be much bigger. It's it almost like Bitcoin, the, the space just goes through like these exponential growths. So just cause you're not hearing it in mainstream media, mm-hmm. doesn't mean it's dead. No, it's, uh, if anything, I think people are secretly working at things and, um, it, it's going to be really cool to be telling those stories in the next few months and years. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I know we'll both be telling those stories and I'm excited to, to do that. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, Eileen, before we before we jump off, I want to make sure that people know where they can find you. What are some things you got coming up that you're excited about? Anything you want to you want to let people know about? Yeah, so I'm still going to continue working on the newsletter, uh, rebranding that very soon to notes from the margin uh, and the podcast as well. Um, just continuing to do uh, storytelling, to do real interviews of people around the world that are exploring uh, Bitcoin and, and just fighting for their financial freedom. Um, just continuing the, down that path, focusing my time on it, my energy, because again, we all have a finite amount of energy and this is where I want to spend it. Um, so that's what I have so far. Yeah. I'll be going to Nashville for the Global Bitcoin Summit in September and then crossing my fingers that I make it to Africa and uh, Bali for the Bitcoin conferences. So if I do and you see me, please say hi. Are you going to those conferences, by awesome. the way? we Will do. 
I don't know at the moment. I okay. my schedule is all over the place. Job stuff's all over the place. This okay. is all over the place. So we'll <laughs> we'll see. I I definitely hope to though. Okay. Well, I hope I get to meet you in person one day. That would be really cool. That would be really nice. Yeah, we definitely will. We'll definitely make it happen. Yeah, we will, and we'll we'll have more conversations like this. I know on and offline. I know offline we have, and we'll do more of these these online conversations too. Because I I think this was really awesome, and I really enjoyed um, this chat with you. So thank you for this. Oh, thanks for having me, Trey.